Okay, if you have your Bibles, we are looking at four verses today in Romans 11, the very end of the chapter. <coughs> As you know, we've been progressing backwards through the book of Romans. Uh, Pastor Jim began weeks ago in Romans 16, and we moved slowly back until last week. Um, he took us kind of an, a flyover of Romans 9 to 11. And uh, Lord willing, next week Jim will be back and uh, will take us all the way back to Romans 1, and then we'll work our way forward through this great book, uh, this great letter that uh, St. Paul wrote to the Christians uh, in the city of Rome. And uh, uh, the section that we're going to look at today, these four brief verses, are kind of a doxology. In fact, I've called this uh, sermon Paul's doxology. Uh, he, he has all kinds of, of uh, theology and instructions and doctrine and explanations <coughs> uh, through the first almost 11 chapters of Romans, and then all of a sudden, right here at the end of Romans chapter 11, he feels compelled to break out in just a pan of praise, uh, just, just to an explosion of his, of his uh, incredible appreciation uh, for who God is. Um, and, and we're going to look at that today. I want to... Um, I want us to read the passage. Now, I'm going to read it uh, in, in uh, uh, the New Living Translation, which reads a little differently. And then we're going to look at each of the verses in the New International Version, uh, which I think uh, explains some things to us a little better. So if you have your Bibles, um, look beginning at Romans 11, verse 33. Oh, what a wonderful God. Oh, wait a minute. He's got it on the slide. I didn't know if I put it on the slide or not. So let's just read it off the slide. Oh, the depth of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgment, his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? By the way, that question is a direct quote. Uh, from the Old Testament, from Isaiah, uh, chapter 40, verse 13. Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory. Amen. Uh, and I think that's something we can all say amen to. Now let's look at verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. I don't have to tell you that there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. One of the best illustrations I've ever heard of the difference is that a person with knowledge knows that tomatoes are fruit. A person with wisdom knows not to put tomatoes in fruit salad. <laughs> I like that. that. That really gets at it. And, and you've been told this before, and so have I. 
Our prisons are full of people who have a lot of knowledge. In fact, in many cases, their knowledge is what got them there in the first place. But wisdom has to do with the application of knowledge. You see, it isn't about what I know. It's about what I do with what I know. How do I use what I know to the glory of God? That's what matters to the Lord. And it says his judgments are unsearchable. The Greek word that's translated unsearchable here in the NIV literally means incapable of being traced by footprints. Um, and it's only used one other time in the entire New Testament, and, it's, and, and that's in another verse by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, where Paul talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ beyond being traced by footprints. It's interesting that Paul chooses to say on the depth of the riches. God's riches are widespread, but they are not shallow. They are deep. And you and I have not come close to plumbing the depth of God's riches in our own lives. We may have opportunity to do some of that as we align ourselves with an Afghan family. We may have an opportunity to experience more of the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. And I look forward to that. The second major idea I want, uh, the first major idea was God has no limits. The second major idea is God is not on social media. I'm a cynic. Cindy would tell you I've been that way most of my life. <laughs> I, oh, this is not too strong. I hate social media. When I was on the staff here at the church, I had Facebook on almost every day in the office because there was all kinds of communications going on on Facebook that had to do with the church. And when I left the church staff at the end of 2015, I turned off Facebook, and I haven't turned it on since. And I don't miss it. I don't think it misses me. <laughs> My wife is on Facebook primarily with our children and grandchildren, and so anything that happens in our family, um, she hears about, and then she comes and tells me. So actually, Karen is my Facebook. Um, <laughs> she's my connection uh, to Facebook uh, when it comes to family. By the way, I think most of you know, uh, speaking of family, we're very excited because next month, Lord willing, we will have a, a great-granddaughter. And uh, we're really looking forward to that. Um, I'm not anxious to babysit, but fortunately they live out in uh, Murrieta Hot Springs, and that's too long a commute to get Nana and Papa to babysit. Um, <laughs> Um, there are two things, of, uh, two, two of the many things that I really dislike about social media. One is people seem to think they know what I'm thinking. 
Has that ever happened to you? You talk to somebody or you message somebody on social media and they respond back telling you what you're thinking and that's not what you're thinking at all. Secondly, people were often trying to give me advice and tell me what to do whether I asked for it or not. And most of the time I didn't. Not a lot of other things. But look at verse 34. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Folks, the mind of the Lord is not on Facebook. It's not on Twitter. It's not on whatever else, Instagram and the 27 or 50 other sites that are out there now. Or who has been his counselor? Now, I told you earlier that that verse, verse 34, is a direct quote from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13, where Isaiah says exactly the same thing, only in Hebrew. Listen, nobody can give God advice. But do you know how often I've tried? <laughs> I don't even know. And I've told some of you this. There are times when, when I pray about a crisis or a problem or something like that in my life. And I, and I pray and I say, okay, Lord, I need you to fix this. Now, by tomorrow, I need so-and-so to do this. And by Tuesday, I need that to happen. And then Thursday, I can do this. And I often can envision God sitting wherever he sits, laughing at me and saying, Garland, you don't have a clue how I'm going to fix this. And you're going to be majorly surprised. And most often I am can't advise God. You can't tell him. I mean, you can. You can tell him what you want him to do. But if you expect him to do it, especially to do it exactly the way you're thinking, you're probably going to be frustrated and disappointed. Because God has resources to work toward the solving of my problems that I know nothing about. He has resources that only he knows about, and he will use them. The third major point here in verse 35 is God has no debtors. He doesn't owe anybody anything. He doesn't have a mortgage on a house. He doesn't have a loan on a car. He doesn't have an employer. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> Whatever, whoever, verse 35, who has ever given to God that God should repay him? Now, these are rhetorical questions that Paul is asking. He's not, he's not expecting an answer because the answer is obvious. No one. God doesn't owe anybody. He is totally sovereign over all things. Do you understand what that means? I shouldn't ask. That's an unfair question because I'm not sure I do. Totally sovereign over all things. 
And I don't know how you feel about the world you and I live in this day, but sometimes it's hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that God is sovereign in this world. When I read about 19 children and two teachers in Uvalde, Texas being murdered. I said to my wife over breakfast a couple of days ago, it seems now like somebody taking a gun somewhere and shooting a bunch of innocent people is almost a daily occurrence. And I'll be honest with you, I'm 77 years old and it frightens me. The world I live in frightens me. What's going to happen to me doesn't frighten me because I know where I'm going eventually. But when I think about my kids and my grandkids and soon to be a great grandkid, this world scares the hell out of me. And I don't mind saying it that way. But God is sovereign. And I need to go back every day and wrap my mind around that central truth. God is sovereign. He is the one to whom all persons are accountable. Good, bad, indifferent. We are all accountable to this sovereign God. He holds us accountable. And God is the one whom all of us must glorify. I'm going to give you a quote now that I've given you before. I, I, I probably have said a lot of things to you over the years that I said earlier. I just don't remember them. So I don't expect you to either. But this quote comes from a marvelous little book by Ruth Paxson entitled Called Unto Holiness. And I, and I wrote, I, I printed this quote on the back at the bottom of your sermon notes. There is no limit to what God will do through the man or woman who does not touch the glory. Isn't that great? Just don't touch the glory. I said that to my Sunday school class years ago, and and I gave it to them in some teaching notes. And a a few Sundays after uh, I did that lesson in class, I was preaching. And when I got up here to preach, several members of my Sunday school class held up little notes that said, don't touch the glory. That was a good lesson for me, by the way. Don't touch the glory. There is no limit to what God will do through you if you don't touch the glory. And maybe what God will do through you in helping an Afghan family. Just think of it. Fourth major point. Verse 36, for him, for from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. 
This tells us three things, I think. First, he is the first cause of all things. No one caused God to exist. Do you know that? He's always there. He's always been there. He always will be there. You and I can't understand that because you and I have beginning and ending, but not God. No beginning, no end. God never says, I was. God never says, I will be. God always says, I am. And that's powerful. There's a funny story I heard a few years ago about a group of scientists who took some mud, put some of it in a test tube, took the test tube over to a lab, heated it up, mixed it up, rocked the test tube back and forth. And when they finished with their experiment, they put some of the mud under a microscope and they found some wiggly little things in there. And they got all excited. We've created life. So God yells down from heaven. So you've created life. Oh yeah. Look at the microscope. These wiggly things in there. God says, well, show me how you did it. And the scientist said, well, give us some mud and we will. God said, no, create your own mud. <laughs> you see, he's the, he's the first cause of everything. How did he create? He spoke it into existence. And I would encourage you, if you've never read read the Chronicles of Narnia of C.S. Lewis, I'd encourage you to do that. You would love those stories. But in The Magician's Nephew, Lewis tells the story of how Aslan, the Christ figure, the great golden lion, creates Narnia, the country in which everybody lives. And you know what he does? He sings it into existence. I love that. As he's singing, this Beautiful golden voice and music spreads over the land and lumps show up in the earth and out of each lump pops an animal. <laughs> it's, it's a marvelous picture. God created all that is from nothing. Lloyd took us through that in, in Sunday school class this morning. He's the first cause of all things. Secondly, that's, that's from him. The through him means that he is the effective cause of all things. Listen, he's not an accidental cause. He is a purposeful, effective cause. Over the last year or so, I've been reading a lot of World War II era nonfiction. My dad served in, in World War II, not overseas, but he was in the Army Air Corps. And before he died in 2007, he believed that the world stopped rotating on its axis at the end of World War II. Nothing of any importance at all has happened since World War II. And, and so I've become kind of fixated on that era. 
and, 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 and so I've been reading this, and one of the books I read was The Manhattan Project. You all know what that was, the creation of the atomic bomb. And one of the central characters was a scientist by the name of Dr. Robert Oppenheimer. Let me tell you, you read the book about the creation of, of the atomic bomb, and you learn a lot about the science of trial and error. Those people had no idea when they started what they were going to create or how they were going to go about doing it. It was all by guess and by gosh, with a little science thrown in just for good measure. That's not God. He is the effective cause. He caused everything to exist with purpose and with meaning, including you and me. God didn't have to keep redoing creation until he got it right. He got it right the first time. <laughs> In 1977, there was a humorous movie, some of you may remember it. It was entitled, Oh God. Any of you remember that movie? John Denver and George Burns. And George Burns played the God figure in the movie. And at one point, there's a cute little short dialogue between the John Denver character and George Burns as God. <coughs> and, and, and the Denver character is arguing, which is never a good idea, arguing with God. And he said, but you never made a mistake. And Burns, as God said, oh yes, the avocado. I made the pit too big. <laughs> I like that. It's a lot funnier when George Burns says it, though. No, you see, God purposed before creation even was made to create with a purpose. And he even purposed in such detail that he knew before Adam and Eve set foot in the Garden of Eden at his creation, he knew they were going to screw up. And that's why we have the covenant of grace. That's why God decided before he ever created a human being, God decided with his son Jesus and with the Holy Spirit, the triunity, to provide salvation from that screw up. And you and I can be grateful. And I think that was on what was on Paul's mind as he hit this part of chapter 11 and all of a sudden maybe he was overcome by the feelings he had after his Damascus Road experience or maybe he was just aware of, of, of the, the incredible grace of God that had been made manifest in his life since he, since he became a believer. You know, Paul never forgave himself for persecuting the Christians. He blamed himself through the rest of his life for that. And he had, he had a tough time accepting God's forgiveness. 
And maybe you and I sometimes have a tough time accepting God's forgiveness for things we've done in the past. It's hard. It's, it's not hard for God to forgive me, but it's hard for me to forgive myself, and it's hard for me to accept forgiveness sometimes. But it's there. And I think Paul was just overwhelmed and overcome with this great forgiveness of God, and he had to stop and say, excuse me, here's a parenthesis. Yay, God! Hallelujah, God! That's who he is. And that's who he always will be. He's the final cause of all that is. That's the last point. There is no cause after God. There was no cause before him. And there is no cause after him. He is from the beginning to the end of all things. And you and I can be grateful. Pray with me. Father, this is an amazing three or four verses that just kind of dance here in the middle of this great letter from St. Paul to these Christians in Rome who were struggling in a lot of ways. Struggling with the government, struggling even getting along with each other. The Jewish Christians and the, didn't like the Gentile Christians and the Gentile Christians didn't like the Jewish Christians back. And, and we've, we've heard about that from Jim and Andrew in, in earlier messages. And, and then all of a sudden, Lord, here's these four verses that just shout out to us. God is good. God is good. Let us glorify him forever. In Jesus' name.